It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the Monday check-in. I'm Damon Jensen-Heitman, one of the pastors, First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, is excited to be here on this uh, Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that I just saw a bat fly by that window, but it was just the shadow of the leaves and the reflection of the window behind us. I'm really glad to hear that. We've been dealing with some bat mitigation issues, and it's actually in the part of the church where our podcast studio is, mm-hmm. um, and we had Orkin come in and... Uh, we spent a lot of money as a church to have them do it. Uh, and then after they finished, we had a few more bats. But since that second set of bats has been removed, we've not had yeah. any bats that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking about getting one of those um, signs like they have at workplaces, like it's been X number of days since an on-the-job injury. Yeah. We're going to have a, it's been X number of days since we've seen a bat in First Presbyterian Church. Since a bat incident. Uh-huh. And then we get to flip the numbers every time another day passes. And so um, I'm. I do it. And so let's Christmas see. Christmas is coming. Indeed. Uh, and May the May no September the eighth September the seventh September the seventh was the last time we had a live bat in the church that we knew of. Mm, mm-hmm. So um, we just turned over our our thirty one number. Mm-hmm. And 32. prior to September seventh. We would see bats. Not we wouldn't necessarily see live bats, but we would find dead bats every couple of weeks. Yeah, particularly in the right. summertime, which is when they're most yeah. active. Uh, yes, and so so that's good. So thirty days is a long time. We'll we'll take it as a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I almost stepped on a snake the other day. I didn't like it. Yeah, I remember you preaching a sermon about a uh, nest of snakes that settled in under your front porch. I didn't like it. Was was it under your front porch where the snake came uh, out? It was at the back. It's kind of on the side of the house. They just hang around. It's just there's one at least. Just it's just been hanging around all summer. Probably helping you with some other pests. So I mean, you can celebrate that, right? Mm, sh- um, sure. I think. They're so small. Like the oh, pest that it's eating, it might be grasshoppers. Really small. Mm. I don't know. Do snakes eat grasshoppers? I'd assume they would if they could catch one. John the Baptist ate locusts. Mm-hmm. But dipped it in yeah. honey. Anyway, I didn't like it. Mm. Snake bread didn't really like it very much either. So I guess we're even. Probably not. Stepping on a snake in Nebraska is a different experience than stepping on a snake in Arizona where I grew up because snakes in Arizona where I grew up uh, generally have rattles on the end of their tails. And yeah. if you step on them, um, it could be a problem. It, it doesn't, doesn't usually end well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've nearly had that experience a few times growing up. I did a lot of hiking. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, the snakes were awake and alert enough to let you know what's up. Let me know that I was about to step on them, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't end well for me. And so I was able to. There was one time at night. Um, mm. I was a camp counselor. Uh, I was a canoeing instructor at a camp, and uh, 
this well-worn path between the mess hall and my cabin where I stayed. And I looked ahead and I thought, why is there a rock in this well-worn path that I walk all the time at night? And I wasn't walking with a flashlight because it was a well-worn path mm-hmm. and I knew it. Um, it wasn't a rock. It was a coiled rattlesnake. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So that's been snake and bat talk. Uh, Which is not what we normally do on the Monday check-in. What do we normally do on the Monday check-in? <laughs> on this week's edition of the Monday check-in. So following snake and bat talk, we're going to transition into our regularly scheduled programming. Which is, we take a little preview of the scripture that we're going to use, examine, mess around with for the upcoming Sunday. And we have a little miniature Bible study related to that. And then we switch gears and we talk about the life of the church. What's going on? What folks should might want to be aware of as we go. And we start with an opening prayer. And I think that it's your turn. Yep. Let's do it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the ancient stories that we find in the Bible and the ways that they might still speak to us today. We thank you especially for this fall where we've been able to study some of these core foundational stories that are building blocks of our faith and our understanding of you, God, our understanding of us as your people and the way that you are at work in the world and the way you are at work in our lives. So God, we ask that you bless this conversation. Uh, May your Holy Spirit move among us, give us wisdom, insight, courage if we need it, strength if we need it, humility if we need it. God, be with us and help us to understand how your word is speaking to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for this upcoming Sunday, we are taking a look at part of the book of Ruth. Uh, This is the opening little bits, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and it reads something like this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem went to Judah. Uh, Wait, no. A certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Milan and Shilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, in case you had forgotten, the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Milan and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. Then... She started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the country, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went out to go and they went out on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "Go back, each of you." 
to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. That's where it ends. For now. That's where that part of the story stops. That's where we chose to stop the story <laughs> this time around. That's where the narrative lectionary chose to stop the story, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I actually I either added a verse or omitted a verse. Okay. But, yeah. So combined, myself and the narrative lectionary combined chose to end the story there. Mm-hmm. Greg, what do you got? Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Mm-hmm. Which one do you, which, which package do you want to start with? <laughs> well, it's interesting that, uh, that Naomi is from uh, the land of Bethlehem and Judah. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she and her husband choose to immigrate to Moab. Yeah. With their two boys. Mm-hmm. And functionally become Moabites in some way, because they get integrated enough into Moabite society that their two boys marry two Moabite women. And they're yeah. probably planning on living out their lives there until Naomi's husband dies and then her two sons die. And then Naomi is literally left with nothing. And what we know about, you know... Yeah, it's... Um, we don't. I guess we don't necessarily know how long they were thinking of staying there. They moved there because of a famine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're in search of food. There's there's parts of it that are kind of reminiscent of, um, is it Jeremiah or Isaiah who writes to the exiles and says, like, plant gardens and, and tend to the city where you are yeah, and uh, marry off your daughters and have and have your sons take wives and yep. um, um, because you don't know how long you're going to be there. Right. Right. Yeah. It's to me, it's kind of similar to that. Okay. Sort of. Um, and one of the things that's being said without being said is that um, 
Naomi and Elimelech and their sons would be Jewish. Mm -hmm. And they would be going to a land where people aren't practicing Judaism. Right. Correct. Um, And so that's, that's also part of the, a key part of this story. Right. As well, which you can kind of pick up on when Ruth responds um, to Naomi. But if you didn't, if you didn't know, you wouldn't necessarily know. Yeah. You just, oh, what's the big deal? Okay. They're going to a different <laughs> country to live. But. Yeah. So in that case, it's kind of a big deal that the sons married Moabite right. women. Yeah. Um, and everybody seems to be, have been cool with that. Right. Right. Yeah, which is um, interfaith marriages are are interesting things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what are you going to do with this? Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Just going to fold it into a paper airplane and throw it and see where it lands, right? Um. And so, and then also, it becomes fleeing from famine is a hardship, and then Naomi encounters additional hardships to that. Right. Her husband dies, and then her two sons die, which, within the within the culture at the time, makes her pretty vulnerable. Right. Um, and so that's why she in addition to hearing that there's now food, that the, that the famine has passed. Right. That's why she, she chooses to head back. She's in a kind of a desperate situation. Right. Um, and her plan, if you read the rest of Ruth, um, is to go back and hopefully maybe become a part of like a distant relative's house right. and, and find safety, security, food, lodging, all that sort of thing, right? Um, and then, but it's a risk to her. This is not a guaranteed yeah. thing. And that, and it seems more wise, wiser? Is wiser a word? Mm-hmm. Wiser. I don't think, it seems more wise <laughs> to her to have her now daughters-in-law stay behind. Right. Go go back to your essentially go back to your father's house or to whoever's and to your brothers or whomever. Like there are people you know that you have people here. Right. Who will take care of you? Return to your tribes, and more than likely, they may still be of marrying age, mm-hmm. which certainly Ruth implies here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, you get another shot at this. She says to her daughters-in-law. Um, so you don't need to follow your old maid mother-in-law back mm-hmm. to a land that's not yours. Mm-hmm. Go, go give it, you know. Yeah. Um, and Orpa takes her up on that. She does, but hesitantly. Hesitantly. They both weep. She says, like, she says to them, go back to your houses. And they both weep instantly. Yeah. Right? Which... It makes me think of what are all of the 
interactions between these folks within this family mm-hmm. that are hidden. Right. That we don't <laughs> see or or understand that would um that would cause this at the idea of separating that would cause this weeping. Yeah. You know, I, there's they clearly Orpa and Ruth clearly care for Naomi. Mm-hmm. In, in some way that is sort of, I think more that is something beyond transactional, mm-hmm. you know, I, there's, there's, there appears to be really deep, genuine emotion here. Yeah. And that, but, <laughs> but none of the reasons for that connection are like worth putting in the story. Yeah. They're not explicit. You know, um, and I'm guessing because they're like not big things. They're like, they're all of the little things that connect us to each other. Yeah. Right. Like their meals spent, cooked for one another, their time spent with one another, their, all of those little things that, that end up helping us to, to bond and to connect with one another. Yeah. Um, but aren't apparently story worthy. And it's kind of a model of, um, of chosen family, which mm-hmm. is what the church is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are choosing to call one another sisters and brothers. We are choosing to live as a family in Christ. And um, in making that choice, we are choosing to, to perhaps do self-sacrificial things on behalf of our family, of our chosen family. Um, and there's some really beautiful parallels to be drawn there in terms of what, what does authentic relationship look like? What does it look like to, um, when we call each other sisters and brothers and when we talk about being the church, um, and you and I both use family language a lot when we're talking Mm -hmm. about our church and, um, what does, what does that mean? What does that look like? What could that look like when it's at its very best? And perhaps that's what Ruth and Naomi are teaching us mm-hmm. in this passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, connecting that back to this past Sunday. I don't know if it was on Sunday or if it was at the concert on Saturday night when Ann Phelps was here with the Theodicy Jazz Collective. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things that she at some point mentioned was the joy of sort of being amongst, and she pointed at the congregation and said her family of origin uh, with her. And then she pointed at the jazz collective and said her uh, family of choice, I think yeah. is what is the phrase that she used. Yeah. And um, yeah, which is, which is just a, you know, a, a connecting back to that and and that we do develop and create different families um Mm -hmm. and also this is so this is one of the stories scriptures that's going to be used in the cantata in december and i think one of the and the the cantata is titled bearers of the divine Mm-hmm. And so looking at these stories, to, what is it? Mary's called to bear the divine. Right. Um, quite literally. <laughs> right. Right. Um, 
And what does, where does Mary turn to understand what that means, to bear the divine? Um, and Hannah and I hypothesize that this is maybe one of the stories that right. she turns to. I think one of the things that this story offers to us about what it means to bear the divine is that God becomes present when people dedicate themselves to one another. Mm. And, and Ruth is very, they have all very clearly done that. Yeah. You know, even, even when Naomi is kind of trying to push them away, mm-hmm. she's doing it because she is dedicated to their well-being. Right. Yeah. Um, and they both resist that. Orpa eventually relents and, and returns to her family. Uh, and Naomi says, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, am, I am dedicated to you, right? Um, and where you go, I will go, and um, your people will become my people, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, it's very similar to the, I think, similar to, the, to some of the passages in Acts that describe the early church. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think this comes from, I think this comes from Paul. You'll know better than I will. Um, to laugh with those who laugh and mourn with those who mourn. Yeah, right. Romans, that, Romans twelve, I think, or Romans eight, one of the two. Um, yeah, this this notion of of being in solidarity with one another uh, to the point of empathizing, to the point of sharing the emotions of somebody, whether it's joy or sorrow mm-hmm. um he says laugh with those who laugh and, and weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn and yeah um that's what authentic relationship looks like um that's what christian relationship christian family looks like mm-hmm. um absolutely yeah and part of and it's also part of what being having been created in the image of the divine mm-hmm. part of that Part of being a reflection of that image is to like, we dedicate ourselves to one another, and um, and we yeah like we help each other out of jams yeah. if the opportunity arises, or just to share life with one another. This sort of um, trying as best we are able to be outwardly focused, yeah, and not and not inwardly focused exclusively. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that the the Bible often uses a parent-child relationship to describe that kind of sort of unconditional love and support, but then we have these other examples mm-hmm. that we come across that show that, you know, if, if the parent-child relationship is not one that you resonate with, or to expand it beyond that and say, when we choose to submit ourselves to being disciples of Christ and to live in Christian community, it's not just a parent-child relationship. We we submit ourselves uh, wholly to one another, mm-hmm. um, whether it's chosen family or family of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is what we are. That is that is the life we're choosing as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so it's it's interesting and helpful i think to encounter these kinds of stories that model that kind of self-giving love and relationship outside of the parent-child relationship because we have lots and lots that model it as a parent-child relationship but Mm -hmm. then also this is you know 
beyond that. And mm-hmm. it's a good reminder for us, I think. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> this could get us way <laughs> far afield. But uh, so I've been listening to a podcast. It's called Midnight Burger. And it's, uh, it's stories. It's fiction. That's stories. Yes. Nonfiction is real. Yes. Right? Okay. Um, It's a fiction podcast about a diner that travels through space and time. Mm. And the people who become a part of this diner, they have various adventures and things through space and time. And but at also times it gets really kind of like philosophical and, and interesting. And one of the episodes that I listened to recently kind of through the story thought of considered this idea of um, like you and I really only exist to one another in relationship. Like if, if we weren't in some sort of a relationship, mm-hmm. then like I wouldn't exist as far as your understanding of reality is concerned. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so there, one of the takeaways from the episode is that like we, we in some ways become real only in relationship, only when we are known by someone else, hmm. or we become real differently, perhaps right, right. Um, or in a different way. Like we we probably want to think that we exist, whether or not we are known by someone Mm -hmm. but none of us come into being without being in relationship just from the basic nature of our bodies right um and so i have some of that sort of idea kicking around in my brain as well when i think about this this passage that these folks all become alive to each other differently when they really choose to commit themselves to each other yeah Um, yeah which is maybe interesting. I think it's very interesting. <laughs> and maybe not. Um, maybe I'll just make everybody listen to that episode of Midnight Diner. Um, that's that's an option. Uh, I will say as people were leaving the jazz worship service mm-hmm. on Sunday and I was chatting with them, many of them said to me, well, how are, how are you going to top that? <laughs> and I said... Well, Damon's preaching next Sunday, so we have no idea what's going to happen next week. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And yeah. they said, oh, well, okay, we'll have to come in here what Damon has to say. So, um, yeah. You, no, I think my job this week is to bring the bar back down a little bit. I would appreciate you doing that <laughs> since I have to preach the following week. Um, if you could just, just, yeah. We've been hearing that a lot lately. Set it at more realistic. I, we we have been hearing that a lot. It's It's been a special fall in the yeah. life of the church. It really has um, in so many ways. Uh, and, yeah. See, but here's what I, like, here's what I think is cool about this, is, like, last Sunday, like, that would have, that would have been in the story. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's, but last Sunday... And like, okay, so the celebration of the 150th, mm-hmm. right? That would be in the story that someone is writing. But that Sunday doesn't exist without all of the Sundays that came before it that don't make, that like aren't seen as being special enough right. to make the story. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. That's, yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's all of the Sundays that came before it. It's 150 years of faithfulness. Right. That grew the community together. That was celebrated on that 150th anniversary celebration. And and the same thing is true with with Jazz Sunday this Mm -hmm. last week and the Theodicy Jazz Collective and particularly Ann Phelps' story, right? Yeah. This church was faithful to Ann Phelps as a child growing up in our choir programs, as the first time she sang a solo in front of people, as the first time she stood at a pulpit and read scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, We may not remember those her parents probably do, but we we as a whole church community may not remember those right. Anne's first solo and Anne's first time reading scripture and Anne being going through confirmation and Anne being developed in this church and then also at Hastings College, and that culminated on Sunday in a group that she's a part of bringing this incredible, uh, God affirming, life giving music to our worship service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. That that service only exists in relationship to the 39 years of faithfulness of this church leading up to that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way that, yeah, I, I think I think there's a parallel there. You could draw that. Mm-hmm. I like where you're going with that. Yeah, and we could say the same things or similar things about m- many many other members, you know, of the church who grew up in the church and and people who experienced. This church or any church anywhere, right? As a group of folks who have dedicated themselves to to God and also to one another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. I Anne is front of mind, be, obviously, yes. because of Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, but you think about the Sunday school teacher. She she explicitly mentioned her confirmation teacher. Maybe that was in the adult ed forum, but. Um, she did somewhere. Yeah. I think that's Sunday morning. And all of those faithful folks choosing to love her and love in a self-sacrificial way, giving up some of themselves mm-hmm. to be able to be a Sunday school teacher or a confirmation mentor or Linda Johnson being her choir teacher or whatever, all of them choosing to give something up of themselves in order to build this beloved community. Um and of course, Anne is the one we again we think of. But you're right; all of us have that story. I, you, you yeah. often cite your own childhood church. I've done the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so, this Sunday's worship exists in relationship to 150 years of faithfulness of this church, but also exists in relationship to the faithfulness of your childhood church right. that raised and nurtured you. Yeah. And so, whatever amazing thing the Holy Spirit does this Sunday when you preach on Ruth and Naomi and the choir sings the song from Hannah's Cantata is 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 the culmination of this life-giving, self-sacrificial relationship that we choose to live in as the family of faith. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll preach. I think it'll preach well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it'll preach certainly. So, and this is not to say that we. Um, I would argue that there's always interesting things happening on a, on a Sunday morning. I agree. Um, and I mean, this Sunday, Cathedral Brass is scheduled to be joining us for worship. 
Um, I think that the choir is going to sing. They are. Um, and they're going to sing the song that Hannah wrote based on this passage that's mm-hmm. part of the cantata for December. So like, we're not going to like just drop the bar. No, 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 no. But we might... It's good to have a reset. <laughs> Once in a while, Indeed. you know? Like, nothing grows forever. Indeed. So, there you go. What's Okay, switching gears? That feels like a good transition yeah. to talk about. Um, as you mentioned, this Sunday is a, is a special Sunday in the life of our church because every Sunday is a special Sunday in the life of our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular Sunday, we'll have our 8.30 contemplative service. Uh, there is not a Sunday school hour uh, this week. Uh, it's fall break for the fall schools. Fall break, yeah. Public so. schools have Thursday and Friday off. And so um, we don't have any adult ed opportunities. We don't have any Sunday school opportunities. So, uh, yeah. So we have our 8.30 contemplative service, and then we'll have our 10.30 traditional service, uh, as Damon mentioned, with Cathedral Brass, as well as the chancel choir singing an original song that will be part of the cantata that will be presented in... Um, Advent. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what's going on this Sunday. Yeah. Um, this week we still have Wednesday Night Live, uh, which is our programming for uh, children and youth. Yep. Uh, that's dinner at 5 o'clock to 5.30, and then um, Bible study and some rec time and some music and yeah. that sort of thing. And anybody can come to dinner. Anybody. It's true. I, kids, no kids, whatever. Yeah. Come, to, come to dinner if you want. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, we have uh, a number of other things happening this week around our capital campaign. Uh, we're having what we're calling these advanced gift gatherings. This is a chance for people to get together, uh, hear a little bit more about the vision and direction of the capital campaign, and, uh, and hopefully make a commitment uh, to it as we continue to build momentum to try to get to, uh, to the full amount that if we can get pledged and uh, donated so that we can uh, do these projects that we feel called to do to improve our space uh, for the future. Mm-hmm. So um, on both Wednesday night and Thursday night at 7 p.m., uh, we're doing one of these gatherings. These are open to the public. So if you're interested in attending one of these gatherings, call the church office, get on the RSVP list. We'll give you directions on when and where and all that stuff. But these are gatherings on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. and on Thursday night at 7 p.m., um, and then next week, when we come back to you for the Monday check-in, um, we are going to let you know that the pledge cards are on their way out for both the capital campaign and for our church's annual stewardship campaign. we got to keep the church running, even in the midst of uh, raising money for the capital campaign. And so uh, we hope that the congregation will continue to be faithful and generous as they have been for 150 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. <laughs> while you're talking, um, I was reminded of... Um, what Mike and Becky and Nina shared mm-hmm. related to the capital campaign on Sunday during church. And I was especially remembering what Mike shared. And I've heard a couple of other people share a very similar sentiment related to the capital campaign um, that connects actually really well to what we were just talking about with the scripture. Absolutely. Um, as Mike talked about being essentially the beneficiaries of, he said, the giants who came before us. Whose shoulders we stand on. Yes, yep. whose shoulders we stand on. And and viewing the capital campaign 
as an opportunity to kind of become giants mm-hmm. for for those who will follow. The, for those who will follow, for the mm-hmm. next generation. And that's that's really, I think, we've designed the campaign and the projects uh, around this idea of setting our church up for future faithfulness and future success Yeah, uh, around themes of hospitality mm-hmm. and accessibility and being family-friendly because um, for 150 years, people have worked hard to make this that place and now we have a chance to advance those things to continue into the future and 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 continue to build that foundation yeah so it's an interesting idea this idea of being dedicated dedicated to god and dedicated not only to the people that we know um but to also the people who we can only imagine right whether from the past or from the future that's beautiful so yeah all right, so that's that's what's going on uh, this week, uh, and then in the coming weeks we've got some exciting stuff. Um, let's see, uh, the last Sunday of October we're going to have a visit from the moderator of the Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. the highest elected officer. Uh, that's going to be a really exciting Sunday. She is a dynamic preacher, so I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. She's coming into Central Nebraska. She'll be at the Presbytery meeting on Saturday, and then preaching at our church on Sunday. Yeah, we should be talking about that more. Yeah, we will be. We've kind of had some other things to be chatting about uh, yeah. over the last few weeks. But yeah, we're, we're going to start hyping that for the next, because that's in three three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, that's the, the following Sunday, November 5th, is when we close out the capital campaign and the annual stewardship campaign. And the following Sunday, November 12th, is uh, All Saints Day, which yeah. also connects beautifully to this theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be great. And then we start rolling into pre-Advent activities. We're going to have a family Advent craft gathering on November 18th, hanging in the greens on November 19th. And then before we know it, Thanksgiving's here and then Advent's here. And then uh, we just keep right on rolling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So lots of things happening. Uh, Is it time to close in prayer? Let's do that. Okay, I'll do that. Loving and gracious God. Uh, we thank you for drawing us to uh, to you. We thank you for drawing us to your Son and to the Holy Spirit. We thank you for drawing us to one another. Uh, we thank you for all of uh, those that um, that that choose this, that choose to be part of this family, that choose to dedicate themselves to one another. We thank you for all of the ways that you become present in those sorts of of holy, sacred interactions with others. Gracious and loving God, help us to deal tenderly with those relationships. Help us to take care of them. Help us to nurture them. Help us to renew our faith in you and in each other. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well then, with all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.